Welcome to Courageous Conversations with your host, Richard Dolan, a world-renowned speaker, mentor, and coach to many celebrity icons and global thought leaders. Listen as they share their stories and insights about what it takes to lead a courageous life, from overcoming adversity to living with purpose and meaning. Each guest brings a unique perspective that will leave you feeling empowered and motivated to make positive changes in your own life starting today. Why don't we give Max a real big, warm welcome. This is a courageous conversation against COVID. Ladies and gentlemen, good to have Mr. Maximilian Cooper in the house. Hey, Max, um, aside from a, an incredible introduction, which I've got all prepared for. Yes, we can give him an applause. I saw that digitally. I saw that. You know, when I reached out to Max, there's so many ways I can introduce Max to you all as, you know, uh, known as the founder of this incredible institution called Gumball 3000. And uh, for anybody that's really up for some really good reading, and I haven't quite gotten through it, but as you can tell, but a beautiful gift that uh, always is front and center of my home. But not only known as uh, the incredible husband to the gorgeous and most talented Eve, the rapper, but an incredible father to some incredible children. I mean, he's been revered as a best friend among some of the most iconic people, leaders, icons in the world, whether it's a David Hasselhoff or a David Beckham or a, a Tony Hawk. But I think aside from all those wonderful things, I've never come across a cooler cat that really was a walking demonstration of living his passion. I mean, everything about Max is just that he's really on purpose because he lives his passion. So Max, would that be a real great way to introduce you, sir? It's um, an honor to hear such amazing words, but yes, I mean, I'm very thankful that what I do across many sort of genres combines all my passions, basically. So I'm very lucky in that sense. Well, it's good to see you, my friend. So thanks for doing this. As we've been doing this now for uh, just over six weeks, as we have friends all around the world, and thanks to our partners at Google, uh, they digitized this and pushed this out to uh, just under 200,000 of our closest friends and family members. So uh, we're delighted to let this be shared with our very close friends. I have to mention that this weekend would be the start of this year's rally in Toronto. And um, so I'm sat here in London kind of thinking what would have been if I was in Toronto today. And how apropos that we selected this particular day to have this particular conversation. I'm sitting in Toronto. So here's yeah. you, my friend. It is. Okay. So here's where we got to start. For everyone that's checking in, these conversations have always been about uh, looking on the landscape, searching the world and finding people that were inspired by and are moved by their courage, their courage to do what they love doing, uh, their courage to persevere the way they are. So uh, Max, with that setup, first of all, let's start with you as a dad, as a leader, as the coolest cat I know. How have you and the Cooper family been co coping during this COVID-19 era? I mean, you know, well, we're all in the same boat. So, you know, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm kind of dealing with it in the best way that I possibly can. When you employ a lot of people and you're putting a lot of events on and people are, you know, excited by what you do, when this sort of comes along and everything has stopped, you know, it's, it's really tough. You know, I mean, like I said, you know, this week, this next seven days would have been essentially putting on 40 events over seven days in three different countries, including music concerts, car rally, car shows, Indy 500 activations, a whole lot really. And you know, I mean, even this this last week, we we would have employed a few thousand people in the whole production of this, and so you know, the impact is one. Looking at it from my perspective, of you know, it sucks that we're we're not out there doing stuff and having fun and putting this on, but there's a bigger impact as well. You know, I mean, it's it's changing. The impact is on everybody's lives that was involved in this, both from a 
work perspective and enjoyment perspective. And what's the world like without entertainment? It kind of sucks, right? It completely blows for sure. I mean, as a, a wise man once taught me, it truly sucks balls. I mean, you know, being caught up and held up and uh, relegated to your home. I mean, you out of all guys, I can't see uh, living at home very long. How are the kids coping with mom and dad at home as full time? Well, you know, my, my eldest two, they're, they're sort of 17 and 16, and, and they're in their years. Where in England, you do these exams called GCSEs and A-levels, which, which kind of is your, your passport into university, really. And they've both been cancelled for the first time ever. So, you know, one daughter who's 18... It's kind of pretty upset they cancelled because she was actually really ready and done lots of work and wasn't kind of scared by exams coming. But my 16-year-old daughter, she's just like jumping. I mean, she most happy that these exams are cancelled, you know, and, and hopefully because uh, the educational system over here haven't quite figured out how everybody gets their results this year. You know, we're just sort of fingers crossed that they get the grades they need to get just from reports and such, really. So, you know, they're doing all right. And then, then um, my other two kids are doing lessons every day online. Um, but that's, you know, that's the new normal, isn't it? It, tr- it truly is. And, and there's nothing digital that you can do really about the Gumball 3000. And before we get into the what it is and how it started and all that sort of stuff, I mean, there's very few things in life that you just can't supplement digitally. I mean, you've got to hit into a card. You've got to feel it. You've got to hear it. I mean, for those who haven't uh, watched any of the Gumball 3000 movies that cover any one of the rallies around the world, uh, of course, that fixed the one from Miami to Ibiza. I, I mean, yeah. they're, they're all visceral. They're all about celebrating life. They're all about tra- truly championing design. So you've got to touch it. You've got to feel it. Um, have you, had, have you, what have you been passing your time with, though? Are you still researching the new coming cars? Are you still at least uh, tracking where the developments are? Do you think that world has kind of paused for a while now? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm looking at things on multiple levels, really. I think, you know, first and foremost, back in March, we made the call, or rather we were forced into making the call at that time to kind of postpone this year's event because, you know, this was sort of, we were slightly on the cusp before sort of lockdowns officially began. But obviously, we were planning a, a, a music concert free to the public in Young Dunder Square in Toronto. The, the, actually tonight, the uh, the night before the rally actually would start. And that was for sort of circa 50,000 people. And then in along the route we put on, like I said before, many, many other events and parties and, and such. But in Havana, which is really kind of groundbreaking, taking all the cars there, doing a kind of a lap of the island and then crossing the finish line in, in Havana itself, we were scheduled to put on a music concert there, again, free for everyone. And, and a kind of a, a who's who lineup of artists that are all driving in the rally. And we were expecting upwards of 500,000 people to attend. And, you know, obviously we're dealing with the governments there. We're dealing with the, the, uh, the government and the authorities in, in Toronto as well. And they're all sort of, you know, we got a great relationship with them. And they're sort of saying, you know what, it looks like public events are going to be canceled. You know, we can't host them. And so we were sort of, you know, we just had to make that call because the closer the event gets, the implementation of the production is already in motion. And um, and not only that, because drivers taking part in this rally come from all around the world, they've got to fly their cars or ship their cars there. And the last thing I wanted really was to sort of leave it too late to have all these angry drivers sort of pretty pissed with me because they've flown their car there or put their car on a boat and, and then they get told it's, it's cancelled. So I just had to make that call fairly early on. 
And so, you know, it was obviously the right call. And as things panned out in the following sort of two or three weeks, the world went into lockdown and, you know, events, every event is canceled that, that you can think of. Yeah. Uh, for the rest of the summer, at least. So, so we, we made that call to kind of postpone it. So we are doing the same route this time next year. Um, our dates are scheduled around the Indy 500. So next year's Indy 500. Um, it means the gun will run from 28th of May to the 4th of June. And so essentially, you know, by pushing, by postponing, by pushing it ahead, you know, by pushing it back by 12 months, an element of us is sort of, you know, we're a little bit relaxed again because, you know, that's it's a long way off. But at the same time, we can't afford a year with no more revenue because a lot of people are already paid for this year's one and, and, and sponsors and so on. So we just sort of, you know, we've got to look at what we do as a, as a company, as a brand. And I, I mean, thankfully, whilst people know the rally as our, if they know the rally, they know, if they know it's gone, well, they know it through the rally predominantly. But actually, the rally serves to be our sort of backbone. And behind the scenes, you know, we've got sort of several other gumball companies that are across licensing and merchandise and apparel. Um, I mean, we sell, we sell gumball products right now at over 40,000 stores around the world. So we've got to kind of keep maintaining that but, and supporting that with sort of marketing, essentially. But uh, it's just strange times, you know. You know, it is strange times. And, you know, whether you call it a pivot or a reinvention at the end of the day, there's, again, there's just no substitute for just good old-fashioned community. And um, if there's one thing about Gumball 3000, you're a community. So for those who don't know, we're, we're joined here by Maximilian Cooper, uh, the, the brain, the genius, uh, the legend, the leader behind this thing called Gumball 3000. So let's get into what Gumball 3000 is, because there are some people that are writing me right now saying, what is Gumball 3000? I heard of Max. I know he love them both, but I'm really not quite clear. And I, I've once often said that when, when I was growing up, and this might age me, might actually age you too. I remember seeing the, you know what I'm going to say, that the Cannonball run. Absolutely. Cannonball Run was this really, who here, just put your name in the chat room. Tell me if you remember the Cannonball Run. Jay, you can't do that because I know you're too young, but looking at you. But I mean, the Cannonball Run was this incredible collection of very famous people who drove incredible cars at the time. And they all were, in fact, to race through a particular part of the world from one point to another to win a prize. So when I first heard of the Gumball 3000, I thought, this is fantastic. There's got to be a movie about this. Of course, there was. But aside from that inspiration, I don't want to curb your, uh, nor shape your answer, uh, Max. How would you best describe where the inspiration for Gumball 3000 came from? So, you know, whilst I did grow up watching Cannibal Run and, and those other kind of road movies of the 70s, and there's definitely some inspiration by that, I think what happened for me was slightly more organic than really kind of seeing those and trying to replicate them. Essentially, I spent the 1990s kind of combining, again, all the things I'm into. So let's say by the end of my teenage years, I was a fairly all right professional skateboarder. And that action sports world was kind of making my life tick. And I was sponsored and so on and take me around the world. Hence, a lot of friendships with people like Johnny Bork and people in that, in that kind of world, really, have stemmed from many, many years ago. Um, I then, like a lot of other kind of late teenagers, don't really know what you want to do. I think um, apart from the skateboarding sport was my whole life. That was what I was into. Um, I think I was also into the cultural sports at a very young age without realizing it, so into the, the fashion of it. 
whether that's football kits or skate culture, street culture, I was pretty kind of always, you know, had a passion for that and interest in it. So when I was 18, I went to a college in London called St. Martin's, which is a very famous fashion school. Again, I went there because sport not what made me tick. I never wanted to design women's wear or whatever, which a lot of people go there for. Um, it was always kind of a sports related kind of interest for me, but it was, a, it's a, if you're in the arts world or the fashion world, you'll, you'll know of it. Um, my tutor there was John Galliano. I was in the same class and year as Alexander McQueen and Stella McCartney and Giles Deacon, all these people that are kind of been running the fashion industry, industry for the last sort of 20, 30 years. By a pure chance, we were there at the same time in the same class and, and, um, so I had this kind of fashion world sort of suddenly, you know, imposed on me. I was in it. I was designing, living in London now at this point, part of that London fashion scene. Um, I then, I'm, I'm giving you this background story because it's really how Gumball came about. But um, I then got very lucky. And again, going back, I'm 47 now. So going back to uh, late teenage years, a little bit younger, um, a bit more hair. I got asked to model for a few different brands. And um, according to my notes, Speedo was one of them. Is this a rumor? <laughs> That's a rumor. <laughs> no, I, I was very lucky. I, I looked very much the kind of stereotypical English kind of uh, look that was probably popular at the time for, for a few fashion companies, including Giorgio Armani and Ralph Lauren. And, and I ended up being in their adverts for about five years in a row, doing their runway shows, along with many other brands. But um, you're getting some great money at a very early age. And what did I do with that money? I didn't spend it wisely. I spent it on the one sporting pursuit that I'd never had the opportunity to do as a kid, and that was to race cars. I literally got my checks from these brands, and I would spend it all on all at a race circuit in England called Silverstone or Donington, and I would practice at every available weekend, and I, would, I started at the bottom of the ladder in what's called Formula Ford and worked my way up. And so over a, probably a six-year period of, the 1990s, I was studying fashion, modeling, and racing cars for Porsche and McLaren all at the same time. And so basically also getting friendships in those worlds. And obviously, like I mentioned, some of the people were becoming famous or successful in their industries already at this time in the fashion world. The likes of Tony Hawk and I were becoming more famous in their world. And then just being in that circle of sort of racing cars obviously got to a lot of different triads that late went up went on to become very successful later on but i was also coming in contact with some very wealthy people around the world very successful people whether they were the fashion brand owners whether they were the um influencers of the time in those sort of worlds as photographers or magazine editors and also the wealthy guys that were the team sponsors um or team owners in in my racing and so essentially by the end of the 90s my little black book at the time my whatever we had by the facts maybe back then if people remember the fuck i don't remember farm pilot farm <laughs> pilot anyway my my address by the end of the 90s was a bit of a who's who from around the world really and i wanted to create something that could bring all of those people together because they didn't all mix together you know my skateboarding friends and my wealthy race car owner friends didn't know each other but i kind of felt like I could create something they both enjoy. And so a bit of a kind of a, a route to this, I actually tried to buy a Formula One team. And I don't, I don't know if any of you follow Formula One or 
a fan's a bit, but you know, it was my dream back then to drive in Formula One. I wasn't quite good enough. So what's the next best thing? You try and own the team. And, and I wanted to own the team to kind of have, have an impact in it to bring this kind of music and fashion and sort of action sports culture to a slightly corporate car racing world, as I felt. You know, one day I'm having go to events and parties with BMW, Mercedes, and McLaren, which are great events and cost, cost those companies a lot of money to host. Some were very corporate and well done. And maybe the next night I was going to a fashion industry party that had very little money, but was really rock and roll. And I enjoyed it a lot more. And so I just wanted to kind of blur those industries. And so I tried to buy this Formula One team, not with my own money. I hadn't got, hadn't made that much money at that point, but um, it was with the investment of the, the team owner and the McLaren team I was driving for at that point. And um, unfortunately, we got outbid by British American Tobacco when Lucky Strike. They ended up buying this team called Tyrrell. And so I found myself at the end of sort of 1998, having got all these friends together, essentially told them about my vision to create a Formula One team that was going to be sexier and more rock and roll than anything that existed. I'd got all my wealthy friends together to help support them, that then, you know, bankroll it. And suddenly we've got nowhere to go with it. So what do I do? That's how the rally idea came about. I thought if I can kind of give all these friends of mine an experience, bring them together, instead of just for one night, I think it's for a party or a, or a conference or whatever you want to call it. I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted this to, to just be a fun time, not talk about creating any business out of it, just show these friends that we could, that I could organize something. And anyway, long story short, that was April 1999, 50 odd friends that I'd invited to kind of join me on this road trip around Europe, sort of said, yeah. And I organized the most amazing sort of six days that I could think of, staying in chateaus, having musician friends perform at different parties. And, you know, back then, there was no social media. It was just the 110 people or whatever it was, two people in a car that enjoyed this road trip. And there were probably sort of 20 famous people in that group of people. And by September that year... Gumball got a story about a feature about that rally, that first one. Photos and, and editorial came out, and we got covers of GQ, Esquire, Maxim, and FHM magazine. And that was in the September, October of that year. And you can imagine that would be pretty powerful still now, even though they're less impactful. But back then, that was as big as it got in media terms. And it was all, of course, it was following the stories and the the anecdotes and the photos that were led by some of the big celebrities of driving in it, but it got me awareness. It was my platform to build on. And that's what happened. You know, so this, what Gumball is, it's a seven, six, seven day road trip that brings together the most eclectic group of people from around the world. A lot of them influential in their industries, but strategically across music, film, sport, fashion, business, and other few shapes in there, a few princes, a few oligarchs and, and, and so on, sport, many sports stars. And, and it's a melting pot for kind of an adventure. And so we created this unique adventure that people wanted to be part of. And, uh, and as the media world sort of, you know, went online, fans started to hear about it. And it just sort of grew from there, really. I could tell you more about the background, but I think that's no, no, no. It's great. It's great. You know, not meaning to paraphrase, but you know, what I get out of that, and it's the second time we had this conversation about where it started. 
is, you know, the first thing that strikes me is that uh, you began to recognize very early the power of proximity, right? Yeah. Knowing that who was the movers and shakers and, and the idea makers in your world, you already had a good intuition as to who those people would be. Number two is that you really learned early the power of relationship. So you sounded yeah. a person that really understood the importance of creating relationship, just even you and I. It's not as if we live next door and I see you all the time, but you're really good at allowing there to be room to create a relationship to each other. Um, and by the way, you just bought me a whole new year of getting a couple of new sponsors that I was delayed on getting this year. So I'm going to drive it next year. So you've got time to prepare. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Cause I've got a good story as to why I should have driven back in Vegas, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, but the most incredible thing about you, and I want to say this slowly because I also want people, one of the biggest reasons why we do what we do in these conversations to create some real uh, teachable moments is you didn't look to create a business. You weren't looking to find a way to make money off people. You really yeah. were and to create an experience that you not only knew that you wanted for yourself, but knew other people wanted too. And out of that, you yeah. create an institution. Is that if you, you know, know back then, back then, I think I had a very strong vision to create, and I did use the word back then to create a brand. I did want to create a brand back then that could kind of have these sort of quite eccentric ingredients, really. And, and knowing, I think, probably from the sort of industry background in fashion, I was always fascinated by why the public would follow and buy into certain brands. You know, if you've got choices, why does one of us buy a t shirt from Gucci and another from Topshop? You know, or they're, they're the same item. If it's a plain black t-shirt, it's the same thing. But essentially, you follow and you're inspired by image and different cultures. And I think I was always fascinated by that. So I always thought that, you know, I could, I wanted to create something that just people wanted to be part of. That's what it was. And, and I think you're totally right that I, I needed money back then, absolutely. Because, you know, what I, even that first rally actually put me into a bit of debt. So I needed money just to pay for ongoing business and life and everything, you know, but, but I always kind of had this philosophy that if I do things right and people like it, eventually the money will come. But notice something, Max, like, I mean, you were in debt on an exercise that brought people together and, and you were all more about the relational equity that you were building than about yeah. developing cash flow for yourself at a profit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was thinking that that's, that's something been, you know, 20 years later after doing this, and I've done many business talks at, uh, you know, universities and such. I think, you know, there's, there's many things that people that study business, you can't study. It's impossible to study, you know, and, and I think, you know, there's also something about having a, an entrepreneurial spirit that can't be taught, that you need motivation of your own to achieve things. Well, well, here's what's kind of cool is that uh, as much as I'm a fan of yours, and I, and of course, I love your family, uh, Eve included, um, but your dad is a rock star. So one could also argue that one doesn't fall far from the apple tree, or in your case, the the cool tree. I mean, your dad's an artist. Uh, for yeah. anyone who really wants to look up Max's dad, I mean, this guy is is a celebrated artist. You you feel that some part of your creative genius and your love and affection and affinity to be creative is, is in the DNA? Or, or do you think it's something that you picked up through the years of school? I think it's in, in, the, in the DNA of my family, for sure. And I think a lot of, when I look back on it now, you know, a lot of what I have achieved and my ambitions and motivations have come from my childhood, for sure. A, a lot of those have been 
rebellions against it too, in the sense that I think my parents never really had any money growing up, but they had a really, and still have, they're still together and they're, they're, they're not that old really, they're in their late sixties now, I think 68, 69. Um, they've had a very beautiful idyllic lifestyle. But the part of the world they live in is in the English countryside in, in the, an area called the Malvern Hills. It's beautiful kind of remote rural, rural England. So, you know, part of it is enhanced by just the sheer kind of geography of where they live. But within that sort of world of theirs, money has never meant anything to them. And, you know, I often think even particularly recently in this kind of lockdown period, that what my dad has done my whole life is go out, they live in this very beautiful little farmhouse with a little stable block, which is my dad's studio. And my dad goes out to paint every day. And the lockdown period has been no different. He still paints every day as though nothing else has changed in the rest of the world. And I think there's got to be some, there's something beautiful about that, you know, in, in someone's own existence. In our, all of our existence, what we do, some, you know, many of us are craving and, and working our asses up to kind of achieve financial gains or whatever it is, but there's something just really beautiful about being able to enjoy life, being an artist or, or, or doing the, the passion that you have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the many passions, I mean, cars being one is, is got to be definitely bringing people together. And, um, so that's, that's one of your gifts. I mean, one of your gifts is, is bringing people together, which, which gets me to the next conversation. When I look at what people have learned in business school or, you know, from trainers and speakers and the like, uh, we often will talk about community and, and talk about collaboration, but out of those two, it unleashes creativity. When you bring people together, you come up with great ideas. Um, like, I mean, gosh, your name came up in a conversation with the one and only Mike Tyson just a few days ago, because the announcement's leaking out that he's getting back into fighting, uh, for charity, for charity. Um, yeah. but I mean, I was trying to get him into a car two years ago, uh, in one of the rallies. So, so when I asked, well, why would you consider it now? And, and you know what he said? He said, because, uh, Max is cool. So let me ask you something. What is, when you hear that now, when you hear the term cool, what does cool mean from your perspective at this stage of life you're in, at this state in life that you're in? Um, I mean, uh, what, what, um, your perspective? I don't know. I think if you have four children, you're never cool. You can never be a cool dad, you know, no matter how much you might try or think, you know, stuff about fashion or, or uh, music or whatever, you know, my kids having Eve for a stepmom and whatever. Both of us, we're not cool with our kids. You know, they're just normal kids that kind of think we're out of date, old fashioned, whatever it is. So hold I think, on, guys, check that out. Okay, watch. You got Max, right? A a um, a rumored speedo model who's assembled the coolest car rally in the world for twenty one plus years, and and not only do some of the world's most eclectic, cool children, heirs, princes, Saudi prince. I mean, the coolest people get together to do this multi-million dollar, thousands of people to pull it together. The stepmom is Eve, who's also in daytime TV. And the kids say, guys, back off. We got this. It's that's true. true. It's true. That, I, but you know what? I think that's just, you know, any, any other friends of ours that have suddenly kind of, you know, maybe, maybe got to, that are famous in their world or whatever, whether it's music or sport, you know, kids are the same, you know, kids are now, you're never going to see your parents being too cool. Although I see my dad as being cool now. But when you're younger, you'd know. 
So maybe, maybe it's time for me to be, I'll have my days being cool amongst my kids, maybe when they're old. That's cool. That's all right. That's all right. But I'm, I'm going to get to a cool point because this is actually a compliment to you. So some people have actually uh, only handful uh, and some of which you know, aren't even on this call and some will watch it later on. But they've been in my home and they see what I collect and they see pieces of art. I love art because I, I was always wanting to be an artist. And the majority of my art actually is and hails from the UK. Okay. A lot of art that I collect, like Rika, uh, I mean, um, I, I can go on and on, but I mean, mm-hmm. Russell, Russell Young as another example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people say, well, I'm not going to that. Well, that's where I'm getting to the compliment. So when I first met Gumball 3000, the company, I was actually under the auspice of looking for the coolest brands in the world on behalf of Google to collaborate with. When I flew into town, I didn't get to meet Max firsthand. So what he doesn't know is I got a tour of his office from one of his coworkers, which I need not name, but you know who I'm talking about, Wild Hair Willie. And so as I'm walking through, his office is not only this incredible, eclectic throwback to all things cool from the 70s right to like to, to the current day, from an outrun arcade full-size machine in the cafe of a garage to, I mean, a bent-up Rolls-Royce a front grill plate like that's, that's actually fastened to a, a wall. But in his office, he had this most incredible art that moved to me. And I'm getting to the point. Um, when I saw that art, and, and I was very taken by it, and I didn't take pictures because I was very, very respectful of his space and right. if I did I, and I knew that if he was ever robbed, I would definitely be seen <laughs> as an obvious. This camera said, don't worry. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, when you admire someone and you look up to who they are and you really are moved by the leader they are counted on for being, I find that we are inspired by that. And it's rare in my life, Max, that I've ever, as cool and as slick as I am, I've never been inspired by someone else. I say, you know what, man, I'm going to collect some of that stuff because that guy's cool. And so I want to thank you for that. You lit the spark in me to collect that. And I'll take some pictures I'll send to you. But I mean, Russell Young and I are friends today. I'm seeing him next week out in LA. I mean, I've gotten to know some of the very artists that you collect and that you're friends because of you. Okay. That's really amazing. But, but think about that's the magic and power of you and Gumball 3000, which is bringing people together of like yeah. minds, but who have yeah. a, real, a real motivation to not just fit in and get in, but really get on. And, um, and I appreciate that about you. Do, do you feel the weight of the world looking to you for that kind of leadership ever? Um, definitely not on a daily basis, but in the last sort of decade, I've taken on whilst running all of whatever you want to call it, the Gumball sort of empire, if you like. Um, every year we work with multiple different brands as sponsors and partners. And amazingly, you know, for the last sort of 15 years, a lot of the main sponsors, if they've been um, sportswear brands or fashion brands, I've also been given a role as a sort of a creative director as well at those companies during during that period. And so, you know, I mean, and over those years, that's been creative director, Adidas at Puma. Um, now I'm designing a collection for Capra. Um, done the same for many different brands, really, for watch brands from Hublot to... Armin Strom, um, you know, and there's pressure on when you, when you kind of, like I said, I studied fashion designer many, many years ago, so it doesn't phase me. I, I'm never short of ideas, but at the same time, when you're tasked with designing a collection or an identity for a brand that has existed for many years before you, 
um, something maybe you've grown up with. You know, I mean, when I was tasked with designing a range for Puma the first time, knowing that it's going to go in every Puma outlet around the world, including, you know, every footlocker to whatever, on thousands of shelves, you're, you're kind of the pressure is on. You know, you've got to hope people like what you do and what your thoughts are. So, you know, thankfully, you know, I've been lucky that things have worked out. But you see, it sounds like there's no going back. And if you're all writing down notes, and if you're just joining us, before you grab that notebook, we're joined by Maximilian Cooper, the, the brainchild behind all things cool, also known as Gumball 3000. So uh, privileged to be joining him for uh, cocktails against COVID, if it were, courageous conversations over the Great Pond. Uh, so grateful that you joined us today, uh, all the way in from your home in London. Um, the, the point was this, is that when you, when you look at creating a standard for yourself, there's no going back. Like, like That's once. Right. Establish that gumball 3000 you do the first best one then you do the second one there's no going back and and i mean that's the whole point for everyone on this call and those who are watching you know when you set a standard for yourself that you have to live up to and through and people want to follow uh, i mean it's the most positive pressure you can put on yourselves there, there truly is no going back when you agree max i mean you're completely right with that that you know whatever especially if you're a creator in any field or lens, you know, you're, you're, whether you're designing or, or putting on live events or, or whatever, you're, you're never looking back. You're only looking forward and you're wanting to improve the whole time. And, and all matters, you know, which is a scary part for me sometimes is that you, even if you've got a 20 plus 30, you know, 20 plus year career, you're sometimes only evaluated on the last thing that you did. So there is enormous pressure on every time. You know, I always think if, if next year's rally is a failure or next, you know, if you're designing for fashion brand and their collection doesn't sell, you've lost your reputation all of a sudden, you know, you've got to kind of, that's the weight that you sort of carry every time. But I think obviously, you, you know, you, you, at the same time, you've got several years of experience behind you at this point. So you kind of not quite so kind of, you know, in your infancy stages of, of what you're doing, you, you've got a bit more know-how. So, but the pressure is on. And I think yeah. also, I haven't sort of rested on my laurels too much. You know, I, I'm always kind of wanting to push the boundaries a little bit more. And, and sometimes I even question my own desires because I think sometimes I can, if I put on a really successful rally or, or event or whatever, it's gone really well. Why don't I just replicate that the next year? I don't want to. I want to do something different next year, which is a new challenge for myself. And I think. My motivation is, is exactly that, is get myself challenged. Now, folks, if you're listening, I want you just to catch that. You know, like, I don't know if you notice this big 10X over there somewhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of my great partners that uh, authored a book called The 10X Rule. And um, you, you embody it, Max. I mean, every time people come to my house, they go, what's up with that Gumball 3000 helmet in the bathroom? Or, or what's up with that Gumball, uh, you know, doormat? I mean, there, if, if you've been to my house, there's Gumball 3000 stuff everywhere. And here's why. Right. Because it, it doesn't only represent a cool brand, which I enjoy wearing. By the way, I like the gear the best. Yeah. Always super soft from the inside out. Just want to say that. But more important is I love what it stands for because I know what Max is about. He doesn't just dial it in. And for all of us, especially now, it's really easy just to dial it in, just to call it in. And every year that you host your Gumball 3000, it's always just a notch above the last year. Yeah. It's always a notch above the last year. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's that's my um, that's my challenge to myself. I mean, I think what I try and do, I treat the rally as a almost slightly separately as a 
there's a revenue stream now. It, it's more, it, it's, it's like said at the start, it's probably the backbone to the brand. And it allows me to kind of have a bit of fun still. And I still treat it as a little bit of an adventure, even for myself. So I'm taking a risk every time a little bit as well. Mm, I mean, going, going back to kind of anyone creating any brands, you don't take any risks, you don't get any more. No, I love it. I love it. Hey, listen, if you've got a question for Max, I already got some private messages coming in wanting to ask some questions of Max. Um, get your thoughts together. Make sure you put your digital hand up. Uh, for those who are watching the rerun of this for your story, we couldn't get your answers to your questions, uh, but I know that uh, Max is thinking about you. Now, Max, um, as we move forward, what, what haven't you done yet that you've been dying to do? You know, beyond the cars and, and beyond the actual Gumball 3000, the rally itself and all the things that fit in between all of it, what, what is it that you've been dying to do that you can't wait to get to? I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's two parts to that question. There's one part, what am I dying to do still on a personal level? I mean, my whole life is integrated into the business. It's hard to separate sometimes, but there's probably still some life goals and, you know, boxes to tick on what I want to do personally, as well as business ambitions, you know, which, you know, I think the thing, I think the thing for me with the business side of it is, is that thankfully, whatever I've created with Gumball, because its ingredients are made up of multiple kind of industries in a way, even though it's sort of spearheaded by this car road trip, the brand we could put to anything. You know, there could be a Gumball airline, there could be a Gumball chain of whether it's clubs or retail stores and coffee shops, whatever. You can put your name to the things that you put the brand things that I think have values of being, you know, multifold really, either cool and fun or high end and exclusive, because we have a bit of both in that. We, you know, we have. Within the brand, you've got an element of it that appeals to a very successful um, genre circle of people that have made it in life already. That are the ones that could pay, afford to pay to enter the rally. It's the bucket list thing to do if you're sort of if you've made it, if you're a celebrity in whatever field, maybe done with thing you want to spend one week doing. But equally, it's now got a wider appeal. So kids and school might play Gumball video games and think one day I want to drive in it. But it doesn't mean they necessarily will. It's a bit like playing a football game and saying I want to play for Manchester United. It doesn't mean you're going to, but you aspire to. And I think that's an important part of what this has created, that it's kind of, it's, it's aspirational, maybe gives people a bit of kind of ambition to achieve in life. Um, and so where do you take the brand? And like I said, you know, you've got two parts of really, whether we grow the public side to it, whether we grow the kind of luxury high net worth side to it, only we, we can do, you know, on the high net worth side. I mean, over 5,000 individuals are driven in Gumball now. It's a who's who from around the world, as you've mentioned, you know, I think in one, one rally, we had 60 plus people in the Forbes 500 taking part in it. Founders of Facebook and, and uh, PayPal and so on. So, you know, it's, it's got some really great kind of members in that sense. So it's, it's how do we, what do we do with that? That's the kind of the whole, you know, what's our next hand? How do we play our, our cards right, essentially? Um, you know, for me, I think we've been successful at growing a 
cool, slightly cultish, undergroundish brand. To some people, they become obsessive with it, which is great. Another asset is that it's very international. We have TV shows on around the world that, that feature it, that follow it, you know, whether they're in French and Swedish and Japanese or whatever. So it's done well at kind of growing a good following internationally. I think my next challenge in the next sort of the, let's call it the, this next decade that we're, we're sort of in now is to kind of make it just a household name, mm. um, a household brand. So it's not questioned when you're, you know, even on something like this, you know, maybe if you're into cars, you would know it. Seen it on Jackass or something like that, you might know it if you're in certain people that have, you know, if you're fans and people have done it, you would know it. But I want to take it on my clips that and just make it household branding. No, that's fantastic. You know, what, what, um, I don't know if you recall this, but when, when I first wanted to find a way to work with you, uh, I had asked someone that you were working with, you know, what's the one car that you don't have in the rally that you'd love, always love to have in the rally. And I was told the Pagani. And at the time I was working with Horacio Pagani, uh, expanding his factory at the time. Right. And so I had a, an NBA as a play, uh, a partner player. And, uh, which I can leave unnamed, but I mean, we did some really great work with right. Pagani for three years. And so I thought this was it, right? Like, I mean, y'all got to get a good sense here that, you know, it's not about being starstruck. I have a massive respect and love for Max, uh, as a father, as a leader, as, as a speedo model of past. Yeah. Um, but, but all kidding aside is, um, I said, you know what, I'm gonna make it happen. So it just worked out like the stars aligned where I was able to not only get the car get Pagani involved and have it be a part of the rally to earn my right to shake Max's hand and just get it. Yeah. Right. I end up flying to Vegas. I had to fly to Vegas. I had to do some work with Mike Tyson on a, on a weekend leading up to the rally. They were rolling into Vegas guys, Vegas. I mean, they were going to have a huge party in Vegas. Y'all would agree, right? You'd all would agree. And don't I and Mike Tyson get hit with the worst food poisoning ever. Because he cooked for me and he can't cook, he can't cook toast. We were both laid up. I missed the party. I missed the Pagani. I, I mean, I'm not even there. I don't get to see Max. It, I had to wait another year probably until I had to meet Max. Uh, right. He was in Toronto. And so, I mean, when people ask me, well, why did you do that? It's because that's an investment into a relationship. And Max is a great, he embodies the fact of uh, a collection of investments that have earned him 5,000 great relationships plus. For, forget yeah. about the fact that Gumball is a great institution and a great brand and worth leveraging and exploiting worldwide with great things, great experiences, but it only took him to invest in relationships. And you all want to write that down. When you invest in relationships, your return will always be positive. Your return will always be positive. So I believe that the honor I have in speaking with you right now, Max, is a result of making incremental investments in the relationship over the years, which may not have yielded an immediate return, but was always going to yield a return eventually. I mean, that's completely true. It's the same, it's the same way really as, um, you know, in the early stages of, of sort of getting my foot in the door of building this entity, you know, quite often people would say, how do you, how did you get there? How do you get to meet that person? You get yourself in the right, you know, you get yourself there, you get yourself in the right place at the right time but you make that happen. It's not by chance. You make that happen. 100%. 100%. Well, I'm grateful for that. Hey, listen, uh, Ken Klevtakis from Toronto, why don't you get yourself unmuted there, buddy? And I, I know you have a question for Max. Max, you've got time for a couple of questions as we wind this down? Yes, absolutely. Hey, Max. 
Or hey, I'm good. How you doing? Good, good, good. Welcome. Thank you for your time. As always, this is this is wonderful to have you. The insights are fantastic. Um, my question for you is, you know, given when you envisioned Gumball 3000, when even it first came to mind, is it now exactly how you envisioned it, or has it sort of evolved into something, you know, beyond what it is, or, or what you envisioned a, a greater sort of picture now? What would you say that is? You know, I I had this vision, like I said, to kind of create this brand out of all these sort of friendships that I had. But back then, when I was in my sort of still you know, mid twenties, um, it was very much a kind of a, a youth culture kind of lifestyle brand, which is still kind of, you know, the challenge to kind of keep it that, make it that. But what I didn't see at the time was probably what, what Richard's just been talking about is, um, is these relationships with all the drivers that have participated in this and, and, and looking back, like I said, two decades later and having had over 5,000 individuals take part. It's those relationships that I didn't count on at the time. I hadn't, I hadn't thought ahead what I would achieve for no and, and be able to utilize through having this kind of, you know, essentially this by creating this, mem- this very exclusive members club. So what's can't come with that is kind of given Gumball far more opportunities than anything that I had on the kind of the, my thoughts of creating something young and cool. So it's almost like it was a uh, fluidity. It had to, you know, it had to move and, and shake with it. It was not really structured and this was a clear path and you had to kind of roll with what was given to you. Is that right? Well, this, listen, the, you know, the other thing is that when I did the rally the first time, I don't know if you were here to start the conversation when I sort of said how it came about, but, um, you know, I, I put it together to get, get this group of friends and stay in room essentially for a few days and hang out and have a road trip together. You, you could, of course, bond and, 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 you know, create lasting relationships if you share an adventure with someone. Um, what I hadn't thought of back then was for it to become an annual event. I was literally thinking of doing it as a one-off thing to get people together. And then maybe, maybe I was going to kind of just launch a clothing brand, either a lifestyle brand that could kind of utilize that. But this first rally sort of showed me the power and the importance of sharing an adventure with someone that you have this longevity about it's, it's like, you know, if you, if you compare it to maybe, you know, more, more traditional things, maybe, um, you know, or still extreme things, but let's say you climb a mountain with a bunch of friends, you'll never forget that experience. Those group of friends that you climb that mountain with, even if it was 20 years ago, if you meet them at any point later in life, you'll always get on because you've always shared that one journey together that has brought you so perhaps so close. And I think that's what Gumball has done in, in a larger scale. That's great. Well, thank you. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate that. That's a good, uh, that's a good question. Hey, Erica, I know that uh, you've got a question and I know that uh, Mike is up next, but Erica, you, you want to unmute yourself and ask Max before we let him go what your question was? And this has just been a fabulous conversation. Thank you Hi. for coming here. And I like your background. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm cruising right now. So my question for you are, what are a few of your favorite cars that you've gotten to drive um, and why? Oh, wow. Um, are you passionate about cars yourself? Are you into cars? I, I like cars, yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've been very, very lucky. I mean, literally, I have got to drive. I think everything that I've ever dreamed of, really. Um, I'm probably in my top sort of five cars. Someone asked me this in a 
in an interview I did earlier this week, what were my top five cars? And I think I've managed to drive them all. Um, a McLaren F1 GTR, really. The race version of the McLaren F1 is probably kind of number one up there. Oh, mine is. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to say anything. So in case you needed some help. <laughs> um, I also love kind of classic race cars. So sort of anything from the 1960s, probably the 60s is my favorite era. So, you know, maybe I'll list a few other cars that I love. Aston Martin DB5, um, race car called a Porsche 917, which was the famous kind of gold foil, light blue with the orange stripe over the top. Uh, inspiration for Steve McQueen's Le Mans film, pretty much. Um, Ferrari F40 posted the car of the 1980s. Um, and of course, I love a Pagani Hawaii. There you go. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Erica. Thanks for your question. I know uh, Mike Searock, why don't you unmute yourself and say hello to Max? What's up, Max? How you doing, buddy? Hey, Mike Searock. Hey you, hey, you are cool. First of all, let me get that straight because look, when I was in college, we used to li listen to Eve and the Rough Riders and parties, and that's that's your kid's stepmom. So I, yeah. I would love to trade my stepmom for Eve. <laughs> so, so uh, a business question: What is the biggest? What would you call? What would you say the biggest setback is in your in your life? Regards, you know, I have a movement called "What Are You Made Of," and it's all about turning setbacks into rocket fuel. What is the biggest setback that you've had, and maybe it's right now, that you use as fuel for your future or for whatever you're getting into next? It's a really good question. It's not one that's actually put to me very often in these sort of interviews. Uh, I mean, there's been there's the setbacks and hurdles all the time, and that's probably you know your motivation to yourself and your challenge, and 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 the bigger you get, the kind of the, the weight on your shoulders because you've got other people relying on you as well for salaries and such. But um, I mean, as a as a company, we've had a few, you know, big hurdles over the years. I mean, let's say it didn't, you know, probably a, a, a almost a stereotype path for, for a lot of new businesses. But I didn't really make any money for three years at all. So the first three years, I was really kind of, you know, paying off one debt as soon as the money came in sort of thing and you're you're just juggling your business life essentially um trying to keep relationships with everybody that you you've kind of owed money to for a bit longer to keep those because you know at one point in the future you're gonna you're gonna need those guys again um so i think i think the first three years were just are just a big hurdle of, of kind of challenges and in, in the financial world um in 2007 we had an accident in the rally which was a really big hurdle for us because it was this time where the rally was kind of televised across all of Europe, and um, it, it was a it was a genuine genuine accident. It wasn't kind of a anything that was too crazy or stupid behavior or anything. It was just a genuine sort of accident that happened, but it kind of made me question everything about what I was doing, um, and essentially, you know. Almost at the time for me, you think, should I carry on doing this or, or not? And once you carry on, you think I better go all, go all out to make things better, bigger, safer, stronger, you know, probably put some um, groundwork down at that point for more longevity with the brand. That's probably my main two, really. I think, you know, like you said, right now is another struggle for, for all companies, really, unless you're in the, the business, maybe the food business or pharmaceuticals, then you're sort of 
you know, your world has sort of come to a halt for a little bit. But um, I, I, I think, you know, we're, we're resili- resilient enough that this won't impact us too badly. Um, but it does, again, make me think, how do I grow it beyond um, relying on certain live events that, that we do at the moment? Good question. That was a great question. Thank you. Well Thank done, you. Hey, we're reserving the last question because we've been joined with Maximilian Cooper, uh, the real thought leader behind all things Gumball 3000 for Matt Soltis, all the way from UK, your fellow neighbor right there in London. So hello, Matt. Say hello to Max. Hey, Max Soltis said, how you doing? Where are you? I'm actually over in Cardiff this evening. So other side of the country, over in Wales, a split my time between here and London. So this is where I am locked down anyway. Yeah. The question I had for you, Max, was actually around the creative and I suppose the artistic side of entrepreneurship, uh, because you spark me as someone who's very, you're very creative, you're very much a visionary, you love connecting to that, almost your higher self, that purposeful self. I was going to ask, do you have any particular habits or rituals that you have about the day to spark that creativity or anything in particular you do to get your state into that creative space? Um, again, that's a good question. You know, I, I think, um, I have never been at a loss for any creativity, which is just, uh, you know, I'm very lucky with that. I think, you know, I, I'm sort of inspired by many, many people and many other companies that probably motivate me and give me ideas and inspiration. And I'm also kind of, I think one of my assets that um, has maybe been discussed on here is that I, I do have a lot of interests. You know, I'm interested in music. I'm interested in cars. I'm interested in art, fashion, sneaker culture, um, travel, you know, many, many things. So I think I kind of put ingredients from all of those really to kind of come up with my own version of whatever it is I'm designing at that point. But I think, you know, the one thing for me that is very difficult in having the time to design and like you said, do I have any sort of routine? It's probably hard and makes my life a bit difficult, but I'm a real night person. So I can spend the time in the office in the daytime dealing with, unfortunately, company running issues, you know, which get in the way of a lot of creative people, really, and a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, you don't want to kind of get bogged down with, uh, with making sure that the company is you know, paying its tax returns, its gas bills, it's whatever, the HR of the company. And, you know, the more staff you have, the more issues you have with, with just people and everything. So I, I end up kind of doing a lot of kind of business stuff during the daytime. And when everybody's gone and it's quiet, I get in my zone of myself and, and designing or, 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 um, or just keep them coming up with new ideas and whatever, but I need space for that. And I find that I'm, I'm very good at night and I could work all night. I could work all night every night. <laughs> and and I go through periods where I have very little sleep. And then I need one day to just, you know, chill out and recuperate a little bit. But uh it's tough juggling all of that with uh children, ranching your company, time for yourself, designing. Life's a bit of a juggle. Great question, Matt. Thank you so much for asking it. And thank you. You know, and the sounds of that clink, it sounds like the drink is over and it's indicative of our time is up because mine is too. I mean, from the very top, Max, you know, you're someone who uh, really started 
Gumball 3000 out of a passion of all the things that you really always have wanted to do. So I've observed you as someone who has always been inventorizing the things that you've got, the things that you're doing, and the things you've always desired to do. So the world that you live in and the life that you've lived is really a byproduct of being committed to always fully living. But as a result, I've also recognized that you've pulled in relationships that matter to you because it isn't a wonderful thing until it's wonderful for all involved. Yeah. And even if it puts you in debt, even if it puts you behind the eight ball, even for three years in a row without making a single dollar, you were a man of your word, paying back your investors and lenders to make sure that you did a good thing consistently for now 21 plus years. I've also recognized that continuing to be passionate about the things that you love and knowing your gifts also comes down to knowing your power spots, knowing that you're most creative at night, but equally respecting the time to recharge your battery, to give some room to recharge, realign, and refire. And it all comes down to knowing yourself. I hope I've gotten that all correct in the time that you we have. You have. If you don't recharge, you'll burn out. So, you know, you've got to, got to uh, respect your body as well. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to make a prediction to everybody because it's the first and only time I'll do this with Max here uh, and with those watching later on is that I see an immediate need for someone like you, Max, to be able to youngify and digitize, youngify, urbanize, and digitize different experiences now that might be forever forgotten and or let go of. Because of these times, these critical times that we're in, we're reinventing what it means to be social. We're recalibrating what it means to be connected. And because you are the godfather of what it means to be cool and in a community, I think there's a huge opportunity for you to lead the charge to urbanize and digitize the future of social gathering. So if you're up for the challenge, you and I will have a chance to chat about that soon enough. Folks, let's put some love in the chat room. If you've been on here, you've been listening to Max Cooper, Maximilian Cooper. Give him some love. Let him know that we appreciate him. Let him know that we send him, his family, the love, the care, and the blessings that they deserve for giving up an hour of his time to give you the best time that you've had on Friday. Max, I've enjoyed it. It's been been, uh, nice sharing my evening with you. Oh, it's been a real pleasure as always. And uh, Max, buddy, listen, man, I really appreciate you. So thank you again for saying hello, saying yes, and coming on in, okay? I'm going to look forward to seeing you uh, in Toronto very soon. You got it, buddy. Hey, listen, everybody else, Maximilian Cooper, uh, from my home to yours, Max, send my love to Eve, the kids. Uh, God bless them. Stay safe. Stay sane. And it's going to be so easy for all of you to stay sexy. Be well, everybody. Good night. Thanks for tuning into Courageous Conversations with Richard Dolan. We're on all the major podcast platforms, and we appreciate your support by reviewing us. You can follow our show at The Rich World on many social media channels. We hope that listeners like yourself enjoyed this episode. And remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or whatever other streaming services are available. Because we cannot wait to bring you more valuable content that can make a difference in your life.